So today I want to talk about the sign of Jonah and the Passover connection. The sign of Jonah is a big, big deal. And uh, it's something that I think sometimes we misunderstand. But it's entirely wrapped up and connected to Passover. In our previous teaching, we discovered that Yeshua, the Lamb of God, was crucified, died, and buried on Friday, Nisan the 15th, before sunset. We also noted that he rose on the third day, which corresponds to Sunday, Nisan the 17th, in fulfillment of first fruits of Passover week. The reoccurring question among many believers who do not understand the first century cultural Jewish context is, how do we reconcile this with the sign of Jonah being three full days and three full nights in the belly of the whale, right? If Jesus was in the grave on Friday late afternoon and then rose on Sunday morning, that's not three days and three nights. That doesn't correspond to the story of Jonah or the sign of jo Jonah, right? I mean, think about it. In order for Jesus to fulfill the sign of Jonah, wouldn't he need to be in the grave 72 hours? Our interpretation only has him in the grave for approximately 40 hours, from around 3 p.m. Friday till around 5 a.m. on Sunday. Additionally, he would only have been two nights in the grave rather than three nights. So how do we reconcile this apparent contradiction? In today's teaching, we will solve this dilemma in a satisfying, incredible way. So let's begin with the three references to the sign of Jonah as found in the apostolic scriptures. Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 41. This is our first occurrence of this concept of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three nights and days. Verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. They wanted him to prove that he's the Messiah, the Mashiach. They wanted a sign that would actually legitimize his claim as Messiah. He says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign that's given to you concerning my Messiahship, that I am the Messiah, is the sign of Jonah. And what is that sign? What is the sign of Jonah, right? Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See the apparent contradiction we have? Verse 41, Then the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That's our first passage. It has within it the timing element of the sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights. Matthew chapter 16, 1 through 4, we'll find this occurrence again. This time you'll note there is no timing element in the sign of Jonah. Matthew 16, 1 through 4, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied to them, 
When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Notice in this passage, he leaves out three days and three nights. He does not bring up the timing element. Does that take away from the sign of Jonah? What is the sign of Jonah? If it's not three days and three nights, what is it? Certainly the three days and three nights are in some way connected to it, but it doesn't appear to be the primary connection. If it was, wouldn't have Jesus cited that? Luke chapter 11, 29 through 32. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks a sign, and yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up and the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So again, the sign of Jonah, what is it? If not the three days and three nights, what's the main focus? What's the main meaning of the sign? Do you find that interesting? When I first looked at this and discovered this, it was like a game changer for me. I always thought it was three days and three nights. That's the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights. Again, I'm not saying it's not part of the sign. I'm just saying it may not be the primary meaning of the sign. So let's jump back to the story of Jonah. Let's revisit Jonah himself and try to discover what the sign was to the Ninevites. It says that for the Ninevites, Jonah became this, this huge sign from heaven. So how did that happen? Jonah chapter 1. If you remember the story, Jonah's a prophet. God says to his prophet, go to Nineveh, prophesy their destruction. What did Jonah say? I ain't going, Lord. I ain't going to do that. I know who you are, a God full of loving kindness and compassion, quick to forgive. Been around this block. I'm going to go preach destruction. You're going to change your mind and forgive them. I'm going to look like a false prophet. Ain't doing it. And so he went the opposite direction. He took the first ship straight west away from Nineveh. He was in Joppa at the time. And instead of going east to Nineveh, he went straight west. He's on this ship with a bunch of other men rebelling against God. God sends a mighty storm, a mega storm. And the ship is about ready just to break up. And all the men are going to perish in the sea as it rages due to the storm. So they all start saying, hey, everyone pray to your gods. And then they all prayed to their gods, and then they cast lots to see which man it was that was causing this problem from the gods. And the lot fell to Jonah. He had to see it coming too. 
He knew his God was the living God, so he knew he is sweating bullets already. And sure enough, they're all turning to him saying, it's you, Jonah. So he confesses, yes, it's me, and my God is the living God, the God who created all things seen and unseen. You know, and I was supposed to go to Nineveh, I didn't go to Nineveh, so he sent this big storm. It's the judgment of God on me, I'm a rebel, and you guys are going to pay for it. They said, no, we're not, and they grab him, and they throw him overboard into a raging sea with billowing waves. You ever been, you ever been, you know, how many people have swam in the ocean in terms of with big waves? Been in the ocean with big waves? Yeah, some of you have. You know, we, we were down, we were down in Mexico a couple years ago and we went out, there was a hurricane that came up through that area. So the waves were pretty big still. And there was, there was some debris in the water. So it wasn't the most safe place to swim and they'd closed the beach, but I can't read when I'm wanting to swim. I really struggle with the mask mandate, too, for the same reason. But anyway, I was in Mexico, so I broke the law because, you know, why not? It's not my country. So anyway, I went swimming, and I'm out there swimming. I'm out there swimming, and, the, you know, I'm out there quite a ways in about 20 foot of water with these big waves, and you had to, you, you had to just find your rhythm with the waves because it's easy to get pretty tired out pretty quick and then actually end up going under. And Don got halfway out with me. She just turned. She said, I'm not doing this. She's a little bit, a little bit of fear there because, you know, has anyone, has anyone ever got to the point where you thought you were going to drown in a pool or out in, in, yeah, you know, that feeling so desperate. It's so frightening because it's like, you cannot make it to the side. You're, and, and, you know, will people even recognize that you're drowning or do they just think you're still swimming? It's kind of a scary thing, right? Jonah's thrown out in a raging sea. There's no way he's going to make it. That was, that was a death call. That wasn't, well, they're going to throw me over. I'll swim to the shore. He's not going to swim anywhere. He's going to sink and die, and he knows it. Bad to worse. Jonah 1, 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. There's our passage. There's the quote. In the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Can you imagine stepping in his shoes? Been thrown overboard. You're treading water for a few minutes and you're thinking, I'm going to die. It can't get any worse. Yeah, all of a sudden you see this big fan going around you. You're thinking, no way. No, just let me die in the water. This is even worse. The fish opens its mouth. That's the last thing you see as you go into the stomach, the darkness of the fish. How long? Three days and three nights. How long is that for a Westerner? How long is that for the way we count time typically over here? 72 hours. Now, we can't read that into the text because Jonah's not a U.S. citizen in our time period. He's a Jew from the land. 
back, back, even before the first century. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how do Jews count time? How do they count time? They might count time different in their ethnos, their ethnic group, than we count time. We can't read into the text our worldviews, our ideas. we got to let the text speak for itself in its own cultural background. So how do Jews count time, right? Jews, slide 81. Jews counted time inclusively. Any part of a day or any part of a night was considered to be a complete day and night. Don't let me say that again. Just read that. I'm going to say it again. Jews counted time inclusively. Any part of a day or night was considered to be a complete day and night. They included the whole day and night if it was just part of the day they were talking about because they counted time inclusively. They're Jews. I don't know how we ended up with Bible studies where we sit around in a circle, read a text, and then say the big question. What does the text mean to you? Who cares? Who cares what it means to you? That's not how you study the Bible. The question is, is what does the text mean? What did the author intend when he said what he said? And how did the audience who first heard him understand it? What was their context, their worldview, their struggles, their mindset? Because if you can discover the objective meaning of the text, then you've got a real Bible study going. Because once you get there, you can say, okay, the big question is, is how do I apply that to my life? That's Bible study. That's how we study the Bible. Okay. Let me give an example. There's many examples. I don't have time to go through a bunch of examples. Suffice it to say, I could give you a list of examples in the Scripture and then extant in Jewish literature around the first century, which, which actually validates and verifies this factoid that Jews in the first century counted time inclusively. But let me give you at least one. Esther, chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. This is the story of Esther. It's the middle. It's the crisis. He's trying to get her to go speak to the king. So Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, verse 16. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. In the same way. What does that mean? Three days and three nights. I want you to fast three days and three nights, and I'm going to fast three days and three nights. I and my servants. After that, after that, everyone say after that. I will go to the king even if it is against the law. If I perish, I will perish. Fast for three days and three nights. I'm going to fast for three days and three nights. 
after the three days and three nights, after the three days and three nights, on the fourth day, which is after three days and three nights, 72 hours later on the fourth day, I'm going to go into the king. Three days and three nights, unless you count time inclusively. Who is she? A Jewess. Who's Mordecai? A Jewish man. All right, let's look at the text. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. Esther, what are you doing? It's the third day. It's supposed to be after three days and three nights. Aren't you a little early? What is going on here? How would she respond? She said, I'm a Jewess. Any part of the day is a whole day and night. Don't you get it? I'm here on the third day, which qualifies three days and three nights. I'm not an American. I'm not a Westerner. I'm a Jewess. We count time inclusively. And that's how she could be in on the third day according to her word, and not in any way undermine what she had previously said. It was three days and three nights for a Jewish person. That's just one example. I could give you many, many examples. Here is a big, bold speculation. It's speculation. It may be true, it may not be true. But just run with me. Entertain me. Jonah could have been thrown in the sea and swallowed by a great whale and died on Friday afternoon. And then on Sunday, the third day since it happened, vomited up on the seashore and then resurrected by God and onward to Nineveh. And for him, his story would have been, I was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, died, and three days and three nights later, raised and sent to you. And for him, that would not be a contradiction at all. For any part of a day would be a full day and a full night. So from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, three days and three nights, certainly would work in the vernacular of Jonah the Jew. Let's take a closer look at the story. Because in the story, you see that the sign isn't even three days and three nights anyway. The sign of Jonah happens to be the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jonah. That's the sign. Death and resurrection. The timing element is secondary, not primary, secondary. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah's been swallowed. He just got swallowed by the, the, the great fish. And then it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. He just got engulfed by a huge fish. He's in the gullet of the fish. He's living still in the stomach of the fish. 
what would you do? I wouldn't be balancing my checkbook. What's the point? Yeah, I'm be praying, crying out to God, right? With every fiber in my body, I'd be crying out to the living God. Note his prayer. I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried from the depth of Sheol. And you heard my voice. I cried from the depth of Sheol. Are you catching that? I didn't cry from the stomach of the fish. I cried from Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol is the realm of the dead. See, he's in the stomach of the whale and he's already dead. He is describing his suffering and his dying. And then he's saying, in the realm of the dead, my soul separated from my body, which is stuck in the gullet of the fish, from the realm of the dead, I am crying out to you, the living God. This is such a powerful story. It's the only sign that Jesus gives to his people that he's the Messiah. What's the proof that you're you're the Messiah? He's saying, Jonah. They're saying, why are you saying Jonah? Remember, death, resurrection, no one could believe it. It became a sign. The reason Nineveh repented is because it came from a person who was raised from the dead. He had a bona fide, miraculous story that caught their interest. And he shared his message and they believed him. Because no other God raises people from the dead. Jesus says, If you understand Jonah, then you'll know that I'm the Messiah. Yeah, it's powerful. The connection is just powerful. Let me give you a verse. uh, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 18. Actually, 17 and 18. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. We call this Hebrew poetry, where a truth is stated twice, back to back, but stated differently. The dead are there in the depths of Sheol. There's a realm of the dead. The name of the realm of the dead in Hebrew is Sheol. It's where the soul goes once it's separated from the body. The body goes to the grave. The soul goes to the realm of the dead. I called out in my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All of your breakers and bellows passed over me. He's struggling, treading water. The waves are crushing him. He's getting weaker and weaker, fainting. He knows he's going to die, and yet the worst is still coming. The big fish. You know, it's just like, wow. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. 
the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pits. O Lord my God. Sheol, the realm of the dead. Do you know another uh, um, figure of speech that's used for the realm of the dead? It's called the pit. Sheol and the pit are one and the same. It speaks of the realm of the dead. Yet Jonah says, you are the one that heard my cries and raised me from the realm of the dead. This is what the story is all about. Verse 7, while I was fainting away, while my life was expiring, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. The fish says, man, that's some bad food. <sighs> Tasting like a rebel. And that fish moves towards the shoreline and pitches up his corpse, which is washed up onto the beach. And there lays Jonah on the beach. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah's corpse on the beach. It's there laying on the beach. It's got vomit stuff on it. It's already been broken down to a certain degree, being in the whale of the fish, right? And the word of the Lord comes and says, Arise! It's like a Lazarus, right? Lazarus, rise! It's the Hebrew word, kum. It means rise up. Why? Because he's laying dead on the seashore. God speaks his word says, rise, and Jonah comes to life, and he stands up on the beach, and the Lord says, go, go to Nineveh, Jonah, you think you're ready? You're ready this time? I'm going to give you another passage that tells a similar story. Very important man in his community finds Jesus coming through his community that day. Jesus' fame is spread everywhere. People are being healed. Demons are coming out of people. Restoration of relationships. 
And so he makes his way down and tells Jesus, Jesus, please, I'm so-and-so, and, and, and I have one daughter, and she's dying. You need to come to my house. Please come and, and heal her. So Jesus agrees to go to his house. If you remember the story, he's on his way to the house where the woman who has a hemorrhage for 12 years kind of like disrupts the whole, you know, process of Jesus trying to make his way to this man's house. You know, the story of the woman who touches the tassel and it's healed. So that whole thing takes a while and the man's growing desperate and he's trying to get Jesus to get to his house because he knows that his daughter, he's got one foot in the grave. So finally, Jesus is able to make his way to the man's house. And when they get there, the servants come out. They're standing around. And they tell the father, it's too late. She's gone. And people start weeping. Oh, if he'd been here just minutes earlier. You know, it took so long. But it's over. She's dead. Mark chapter 5, verse 41 through 42. Jesus, he goes into the room, tells everyone else to leave. He says, I want to be alone. He didn't want anyone in there with their, with their unbelief and, and grieving. So he's in there alone with this little girl taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. Talitha, or, or, it says, uh, Talitha kumi, this word, he's speaking Aramaic. It's, it's kind of like a watered-down Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's kum. Aramaic is kumi. It's the same word, spoken slightly different. Same word that you find in Jonah chapter 3. The same thing that God said to Jonah. Kum, rise. Jesus says to the girl, kumi, rise. Same word. And up from her deathbed. She stands and lives again. Resurrection. Jonah was raised from the dead. God spoke to his corpse, Kum, rise. And Jonah came to life. Verse 3, so Jonah arose, same word, Kum, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Resurrection from the dead is the primary meaning of the sign of Jonah. When you think sign of Jonah, think resurrection from the dead. The three days and three nights are important, but secondary. There's dead and there's dead dead. In Judaism, there's dead and there's dead dead. Dead is when you're dead for an hour or two. The little girl was dead. And Jesus said, Talitha kumi, rise. She was dead and she rose. Jonah's dead, dead. 
Dead, dead is when you've been dead for three days and three nights. In the ancient Near East, if you were dead for three days and three nights, you were dead, dead. That was really dead. That was the kind of death that no one comes back from. The story of Jonah is great because he was dead, dead. The meaning of Jonah, the sign of Jonah, is that he was dead, dead, and that God raised him by the power of his spirit and sent him to the pagans so that they too could experience the salvation of God. Probably the single most popular symbol in first century Messianic Judaism is the fish. Consider that for a moment. It, you know, it, you, you, you could lose everything, even your life, for being a believer. So when the believers met, they, they kind of met, you know, incognito. They'd meet like, you know, maybe down at the sea or in caves or whatever. But uh, sometimes what you would do is when you met someone that you weren't quite sure if they were really a believer or not, or it might be a setup or whatever, when you would meet, you would take your toe in the sand in front of you and you'd make kind of an arc. And the person on the other side would take his toe and he would make an arc. And you know what that would make? A fish. The sign of a fish. Because for the early Christians, the sign of Messiah's authenticity was the sign of Jonah, resurrection. And the fish was a symbol of Jonah. The fish ate, swallowed, and killed Jonah. Therefore, the fish becomes the symbol of Jonah. So, I think you've got it. I finally got it. The symbol of Jonah, the fish, the sign of Jonah, resurrection, is what Jesus is trying to get across when he says the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth. Like Jonah, dead, 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 three days and three nights. And then he'll be raised like Jonah by the power of the Spirit of God. So I'm going to read this passage again and then we'll try and close. Man, I... Okay. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Like Jonah, Jesus suffered in anguish. Like Jonah, he died and was buried in the heart of the earth and then powerfully raised on the third day, Sunday morning. As the scriptures clearly state, Jesus died on the Friday of Passover week and was buried on Friday of Passover week before sunset. That's part of one day. He remained in the earth on Shabbat. That's day two. He remained in the grave on Sunday, shortly before the sun broke the horizon. That's day three. He then rose from the grave on the third day before the sun broke the horizon. 
a good Jew could truthfully and honestly say that Yeshua was in the grave for three days and three nights. Why? Because in their culture, they account for time inclusively. So what have we learned so far? Let's conclude this and make some applications. What have we learned? Jesus, the Passover Lamb of God, has been sacrificed for us. His blood is the atonement of our sins. We are forgiven in Him. We are saved from the coming wrath of God, which will sweep this world and end up in the flames of the lake of fire. We escape that because of the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. He suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried on Friday afternoon of Passover week. He rose on Sunday, the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. In three days and three nights, through His death and resurrection, He fulfilled the purpose and the meaning of Passover. He is the second and greater Moses. He inaugurated the second and greater Passover, securing a new and greater exodus from the dominion of sin and shame. He is the Savior of the world. He inaugurated the long-awaited new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied, and he did so in his last Passover Seder with his disciples. The new Moses, a greater Passover, a new covenant. He fulfilled Passover. He is the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams that are foreshadowed in the earlier and first Passover. In his ascension, he became King of kings and Lord of lords. He sat down at the right hand of God and began his rule and reign over everything and everyone in heaven and on earth. These realities make our messianic Passover satyrs different from all other satyrs. We keep and observe this Holy Week in honor of Yeshua, our Messiah. That's why we keep Holy Week. It's to honor Him who bore our sins and took them away so that we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. So an application, we will all keep and observe a Passover Seder in accordance with the Scriptures on Saturday evening, March 27th of this year. This will correspond to Nisan the 14th as it transitions into Nisan the 15th. That's the command, the timing of the initial Passover Seder. On the 15th of Nisan, we're going to remove all the leaven from our homes. Between sunset Saturday and sunset Sunday, we're going to remove all the leavened bread from our homes. Exodus 12, 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you. 
You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you were to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day, you shall remove leavened bread from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. We're going to talk more about this next week. We'll get into the unleavened bread part of this celebration and what it means. All week for seven days. All seven days are holy. We call it Holy Week, the Holy Week of Passover. It's a great celebration, a great time to just party, celebrate, rejoice. The whole week, take some time off. Eat meals together. Go out to eat. Make sure you're not eating puffy bread, though. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. But make it a week-long celebration for you and your family. After the Sabbath of Passover week, we will celebrate in our homes the resurrection of Yeshua as the initial fulfillment of first fruits. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. That will then begin our 50-day countdown to Shavuot, the giving of the law and the outward spirit. From Passover to Shavuot, we count 50 days. God says count every day. I don't want you to forget that Passover and Shavuot are inextricably tied together. You can't separate the two. Okay? I saved you in your sin in order to deliver you out of your sin. And I delivered you out of your sin so that I could bring you into a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And you're going to become my people. I'm going to become your God. And I'm going to give you a new way of living through my law. I'm going to pour out my spirit and empower you so that you can do it and enjoy the blessings. That's Holy Week in a nutshell with the capstone being Shavuot. So we're going to have a great time in spite of our governor shutting down the state for a virus that has a 99% recovery rate. The devil has tried to stop our Passover. No, the governor's not the devil. He just has been listening to him. But not the devil or anyone else is going to stop our Passovers. Hitler tried to do that. They had Passovers in their death camps. In spite of imminent death, they did it because they're the people of God. And we too will do our Passovers. Even if it's in our homes and we're not together corporately this year, we'll do it anyway as best we can because it's our legacy. It's our heritage. It's our inheritance. We too are the people of God and we will rejoice in the Lamb of God who's taken away our sins. Hallelujah. That's it. Shabbat Shalom. Have a great week. See you soon.